This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. So it's only June, and yet what a year it's already been for Bitcoin. We hit a high of what, more than 64,000. Just today we went back below 30,000, and now we're back up above that mark. $28,904, Carol. It's been a but nutty who's year. But who's counting? But 50% below the record. So it's quite a swing in a short period of time. Volatility is the name of the game. Fortunately, we have Katie Greifeld, who's Bloomberg News Cross Asset Reporter. Also, Bloomberg Quick Take co-anchor of Quick Take Stock with me, noon Eastern time on Bloomberg Quick Take. She's joining us now from New York City. Uh, Katie, you have a new article out. It's called Bitcoin's Money Printing Machine Breaks Down as Futures Fall. Bitcoin, it's not just about for hedge funds um, buying and holding it. What's going on here? That's exactly right. So there's a lot more to uh, crypto trading than just buying and selling these coins. And there's been this just really reliable trade. It's called the basis trade. And it works because if you look at the Bitcoin futures curve, those longer dated contracts, they traded a premium to the shorter dated contracts and to the price of Bitcoin in the spot market. So it's pretty simple if you break it down. A hedge fund or uh, any other sort of institutional type trader, they would buy uh, crypto in the spot market and then sell the longer dated future and then basically pocket the difference between those two prices. And it, it was basically risk-free because your counterparty is the CME group, but not a lot of counterparty risk. But that's collapsed. You've seen Bitcoin futures across the curve collapse over the last several weeks. And that's because really that built-in bullishness that because of Bitcoin scarcity, you had that nice premium out the curve. That's really come down and the market kind of doesn't know where it wants to go. All right. So this arbitrage, I mean, I feel like to me, it's a reminder that it's just kind of a play in the market. Or is it, <laughs> you know, that argument, is Bitcoin, Katie, something much more substantial? And we're moving towards it becoming kind of a normal and accepted part of our financial system versus, man, this is just a really cool trade. I mean, it's a great way to make money. And for traditional mm -hmm. Wall Street players, there's so many different ways to bring sort of the traditional type of arbitrages you would try to do to the Bitcoin market. And that's what you saw here. And it's not working anymore. And this was a way to get pretty much guaranteed double-digit annual gains. Doesn't work. And so you're left to deal really with the technicals. Because again, Bitcoin, it doesn't have any fundamentals, doesn't have any cash flows. And the technicals don't look too good right now either. So uh, it's it's hard to say where it's going to go from here. But the stakes are much higher because, Carol, like you say, uh, you know, Wall Street is much more in this trade than it has been mm -hmm. in the past few years. So what are your sources telling you, Katie, about this this kind of arbitrage being over? Obviously, nobody knows where it goes from here. But is the idea that if it starts rising again, the retail traders will will pile in again and they'll drive that price higher? The bullishness will be back. The demand will be back. Yeah, so chatting to sources about what's going on. So it may be dead for now, but there is a hope that maybe it could come back in the weeks and months to come. What's happened here is partly that basically too many people found out about it. You know, it's great <laughs> to be the, the so first, true. you know, the first or second or, you know, hundredth 
trader in a trade, but if you're, you know, the 10,000th, uh, it's not going to look too good. So maybe as some of the froth comes out, you know, the traders I'm talking to, they're hopeful that this could come back. But for right now, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a great trade. Do you feel like Bitcoin and crypto we can liken to anything in our financial history? Uh, you know, I think about when high yield junk bonds were kind of considered a newfangled uh, and wonky type of financial product and now it's part of the norm right so is there something we can kind of liken bitcoin and crypt crypto to or not really it's a great question and there is this uh sort of meme or inside joke in the crypto community that when you do get crashes like this people will say i'm in it for the technology you know <laughs> I, they go back to the roots they're in it for the blockchain blockchain technology that will maybe revolutionize the way we, we pay for things. Maybe it'll revolutionize the banking system. So you're, you are seeing more of that emerge that, you know, we're not, it, there, there's still value here. But in terms of what it reminds me of, I mean, it's hard to say. In some ways, it, it just feels completely new. Yeah. She didn't say tulips. Which she didn't is, say tulips. Didn't you say you tulips. didn't say tulips. And you didn't say, know. you didn't say, you know, it wasn't like the tech rally, right? I don't, I, I, no. wouldn't, I don't, wouldn't compare it to the tech rally. I wouldn't do it. It's new. It's new. And it does have the potential to kind of, you know, to really disrupt um, our system, our financial system. And I'm still kind of intrigued by blockchain. Tim, you got, I can see I you do. got a question. I do, because this all comes at a time when institutional investors have an increased interest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And I wonder, Katie, if, what, if the volatility that we've seen over the last six months makes them second guess, okay, wait a second, even though our clients want us to do this, um, is this something we want to touch? And we have about 40, uh, 30 seconds left. That's what I would love to know, too, because it's hard to look at Bitcoin right now and the volatility that we've seen. And say, as a corporate treasurer, I want to put this on my balance sheet. Yeah. This is a great cash alternative. So that will definitely be a thread to watch. But I'm guessing if you ask Michael Saylor, he'll say, I'm okay with this. Like, he gets it. You had him on last week. And he seemed all in. And, you know, issuing debt or selling debt, like, he's using it to buy more and more Bitcoin. And we know that some of those purchases, depending on when he yeah. bought them, could be a little bit underwater right now. Uh, MicroStrategy shares down by 4.2%. Yeah, but it's not coming undone. It's not no. falling apart. 4%. Some would say would be manageable. Katie Greifeld, Bloomberg News Cross Asset Reporter, Bloomberg Quick Take Co Anchor. Thank you so much. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, we've got just about 10 and a half minutes left in today's trading session. Jay Powell, we heard, he came, he got, he spoke, he, he went. Came, he saw, <laughs> he saw. And stocks are higher. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and stocks are higher. And yields, uh, I think they even backed off a little bit. So it seems like he certainly has created some calm uh, or kept the calm and peace in the markets. Craig Fair is investment strategist at Edward Jones. Let's see what he has to say. He's on the phone from St. Louis. Uh, Craig, we are actually coming off our highs of the session, but as Jay Powell was speaking, we did see an uptick in stocks and we really did see uh it looked like yields maybe back off just a hair there um any comments on jay powell yeah i think <laughs> i think your comment he came he spoke stocks are higher i mean that could be uh maybe the moniker for the last 15 months if not the last 10 years 
Um, I, I think today in particular, we did see a notable move higher uh, during uh, Chairman Powell's testimony during the day. Stocks were flattish for most of the morning. Right. I think, again, taking a bit of a breather after two whipsaw days on Friday and Monday. I think that I think the reaction today was if Friday was a everything's about to change from the Fed. If Monday was okay, maybe not. I think today was just a little bit of a um, a calming effect as Powell reiterated the fact that the Fed's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. Uh, he also took took care to make sure that he he noted that they're going to continue to focus on the employment mandate and that they still believe inflation is transitory, and that's exactly what the market wants to hear at this point. So was the volatility at the end of last week, was was that warranted? I think to a degree only because, you know, the word we've been using to describe this environment up until last week was a bit of complacency. The market felt a little too complacent about inflation risk. Uh, equities continued to climb higher seemingly every single day and shrug off all the risks. I, I still think the the opportunities, the tailwinds far outweigh the headwinds at this stage. But I think that was just shaking a little bit of the loose fruit out of the tree, which is necessary, particularly in a bull market as strong and as steady as this one has been over the last 15 months or so. So I think it did serve to wake the market up a little bit that the Fed isn't going to keep its foot uh, smashed on the accelerator forever um, and probably puts a little bit more attention back on the will they, won't they, and parse every single word that every Fed governor says now for the next several weeks. Right. Um probably just restored a little bit more realism into the market is probably the way I would I would characterize it. And let's not forget that on a historical basis, folks, look at interest rates. They are still really, really low, and they're really, really low at the longer end of the yield curve. So it's not like we're going back to the levels we saw in the 70s or when we saw you know people paying double-digit, high-percentage, uh, you know, teens uh, mortgage rates. I mean, we need to put things in perspective, and, and we do expect the economy to get back on track. Having said that, do you agree with the Fed to maybe let the economy run a little hot, especially to work off those 7 million-plus jobs that are now, or 7 million Americans that are now out of work? I, I generally agree insofar as I would prefer the Fed to err on the side of um, letting the economy run hot versus erring on the side of undercutting the, the recovery too soon. And, and again, we could go back to the 60s, and there was a there was a kind of a mantra from the Fed that changed again in the 90s, where the Fed was much more tolerant of inflation, rightfully so, because inflation was running low as globalization was picking back up. I think that paradigm has changed for a whole host of reasons, but obviously the pandemic has shifted things around. And I think inflation is a much more real threat than it was for the past two or three decades. Um, all that being said, I think the, I think the Fed's approach now to outcome based. Um, policy as opposed to expectation-based policy is probably the right one. But it also, it should be it should be noted, that also certainly raises the risk that the Fed makes a policy mistake or falls behind the curve. Well, I you, think that's what's got the markets a little skittish at this stage. Well, because it's it's, it's an outcome-based approach is, is good for the economy, right? The idea of getting these people, getting 7 million Americans back to work. But if the concern is inflation and that creates some hotspots throughout the economy when it comes to prices, um, how do markets react? I think the markets are going to react in more of a knee-jerk fashion like we saw over the last couple of days. Because I think you're, you're spot on, which is that the Fed will now take the approach of being tolerant of higher inflation until they believe higher inflation is here to stay. Uh, and we'll only know that once it's here. <laughs> and I think that's the real concern here, which is the market is, is taking some comfort or has taken some comfort, at least, in the fact that the Fed isn't going to um, pull the, turn the music off or pull out the rug prematurely. 
but it does introduce a different kind of tail risk, which is that the Fed falls behind the curve. Maybe it's 1994 where the Fed fell slightly behind the curve and tried to catch up pretty quickly, and it wasn't great for stocks or bonds for a very short period of time. Right. I don't think, but, you know, back to, to your earlier point, I don't think this is the 70s. And, with, and perspective, you use the word perspective, which couldn't be more perfect here. Interest rates, for goodness sake, 10-year yields are still at, uh, at 150. Right. Um, and so that, that shouldn't be lost on the market at this stage, and I think some days it is. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And and we know the Fed, this is something that we've heard from several Feds, uh, I feel like, over the last decade or so, is that they will adjust according to what's needed and according to what their dual mandate shows them. In the meantime, what does it mean in terms of how you invest in this market environment? We're still broadly favorable on, on equities. And I think in an environment, you know, we look at what we call the three-legged stool fundamentals, which is when you have a growing economy, that growing economy then fosters rising corporate profits, and all of that is uh, is supported by accommodative monetary policy. Over history, that's been a good uh, a good environment to be fully invested in equities, and that's exactly where we are at this mm-hmm. stage. It doesn't mean we're not going to have these these bouts of indigestion, which I think are going to become much more frequent as we move forward. And that's the you know we have a neutral allocation to bonds within that strategy as well, because mm-hmm. that is going to be the, the the portfolio insurance, so to speak, when we get those bouts of of indigestion, but you know, our view is you, you want to continue to uh, to diversify into a kind of a risk-on environment where, until we see an economy that's showing cracks, or until we see an environment where the Fed is truly tightening, right? We're talking at this stage so much about just being less accommodative. We will be a bit more cautious when when the when the conversation shifts to tightening, mm-hmm. because that's probably when the economic cycle and the business cycle are going to start to. Uh, to wear thin, but I think we're still a ways away from that. So get more specific there. When the conversation shifts to tightening, does that mean when the Fed hikes interest rates, or does it mean before that? Yeah, it means before that. So far as in just like we the conversation that picked up last week, which is it's the talk about the talk of tapering. Right, the Fed's not going to taper until much later this year, if at all this year, maybe December. Um, time will tell on that. The market is going to. Um, to get a little more jittery when when the Fed starts talking about it. And last week was the market talking about the Fed talking about it. And so I think exactly to your point, uh, real restrictive policy is the actual rate hikes that are going to come for um, some time. You know, 2023 would be be our our best bet. James Bullard mentioned maybe 2022. That's still a ways off. Uh, The the market will start to recalibrate, readjust in advance of those actual rate hikes. But that's the... That's the policy that actually starts to undermine equities at that stage. Exactly. And in some ways, folks were saying that this least, most recent Fed meeting was the Fed playing catch up a little bit about what we've already seen play out in the market. So uh, watch in particular that bond market in terms of what's going on. Hey, Craig, good stuff. Craig Fair, uh, so appreciate it. Uh, investment strategist at Edward Jones on the phone from St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.